Gua sobro. Ay. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone and welcome back to the third sub podcast presented by Macy Sports, episode 142. It's been a while basically since, you, since you've been with the third sub. If you've been for all 142 episodes, we love you first of all. That's awesome that you've stuck around that long. But let's just say we've had some lean days to talk about over the 142 episodes. We've also had some great days. But finally, we got to talk about the Vancouver Whitecaps lifting a trophy. Who would have ever thunk it? Certainly not me. Just wanted to open with that. So we're, it's a trophy 142 episodes later. Super excited to talk about that. Before we do, I'm your co-host, Alexander Gungay-Ruzik, joined as always by Samuel Rowan. Before we dive into this special trophy edition of the third sub, I don't know for how many of those we'll have in the future, but it would be nice to do more. So far, I'm liking the energy, but Sam, how are you doing this week? How does it feel that we're sitting here talking about the Whitecaps winning something finally? Yeah, it's fantastic. And what a what a great environment it looked like it was at BC Place on Tuesday night. That's very exciting. Uh, just thinking back, the, the game that still echoes in my mind is that lost Pacific last August, how far the team has come since then uh, from feeling like they couldn't beat a CPL team in this competition to taking home hardware. Also got to give a shout out, I mean, Vancouver teams in general have just not been bringing in the silverware the last 10 years or so. There were those early 2000s heydays of the BC Lions where they were winning Grey Cups all the time. Um, I will give a shout out to the Vancouver Canadians who had a good run. I think it was a couple years back, but obviously Vancouver Canucks, no Stanley Cups. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a struggle for Vancouver teams. So great to see this group uh, have a little bit of success. You know, something that they can build on, and I think this sort of it affirms some of what was felt at the end of last year in MLS play, where they they went on the run. There was the Vanny Sartini magic. Uh, you know, the start of this season was was mixed up and down, but to to accomplish one of your goals that you stated at the start of the year, which is winning the Canadian Championship, uh, that's a that's a big box to tick off. And we're obviously going to dive into the match itself. Some some great performances. This team really showed up when they needed to and and got the job done. And uh, yeah, terrific to be talking about on the third sub. First time we're. We're talking about, you know, winning something, which is uh, always pretty special. And it's pretty funny because it's like not just if we never talked about trophies, like we don't, we don't even have a chance to be like the Whitecaps won the Cascadia Cup or anything like or, or they won some Portland Invitational Tournament. Like we really had nothing in terms of the trophy department to talk about. So this is certainly nice to see some tangible trophies won by the Whitecaps and what's like wild to think is just like how big of a road this was for the Whitecaps you think about it came in MLS in 2011 didn't win anything for four years that felt like an eternity at the time like I remember when they won in 2015 
yes, of course, it was their first one. If you date back to the USL days, but at least in the USL days, they were winning league titles and, 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 and you know, a threat across North America. So it felt like a while, but if you think about it, it was only four years since they became an MLS team. Obviously, they won their second or, or USL title. I think it would have been like 2007, 2008. Uh, so it was about six years, six, six seven years. They win it in 2015. In 2016, they go out and they're a, a, a Will Johnson broken leg miracle goal away from winning it again, back to back. And we thought there was a, a maybe a mini Whitecaps dynasty brewing. Then they just they don't make it 2017. You get pounded in 2018. Then you don't make it back to the final for three years. What that means is not only have they won a trophy, it's been seven years since they won a trophy. Like it doesn't feel like seven years. You could probably blame the COVID years for <laughs> skewing time a bit, but the fact that it was seven years, like again, four years felt like an eternity. Seven feels like a you know, may as well people have gone through whole life cycles. It's like even if I don't if I'm going from my perspective, it's like 2015. What was I doing in 2015? I was in grade 10, I was in grade in high school. I'm about to graduate university soon. It's like it's a completely whole different era. And I think that's the biggest thing for everyone, I guess, involved in this trophy, uh, especially those who have been around the longest. So I think the big thing, obviously, it's big for a lot of these players. Even, you know, some of them, most of them weren't around. I mean, a guy for a guy like Russell Tybert, I'm sure it feels good to have been around for both trophies. You look at guys who have been around for a while, but maybe not that long, like a Jake Nerwinski, a Lucas Cavallini. You know, that, that will mean a lot for them to to win the trophies, but I really think of the fans when it comes to this trophy. I think of the people, say some of these Southsiders who have been there so long, going to every game, even if the crowds were 5,000 or if the crowds were 25,000, banging in the drum, finally winning a trophy. That's probably the biggest thing for, for me in terms of this triumph, how they were. It's been, it's just been so long. We're going to dive into the trophy itself, how it happened, what it means, the importance. Will the Whitecaps be winning more of these going forward? But I think just to finally break this drought, it, it, you could see what it meant to the fans, like how many of them were just staying there, breathing it in, uh, enjoying the spectacle. And that was the biggest thing about being here. And that's what makes it so special about being at BC Place. If it was at BMO Field, if it was at, you know, Sad Saputo, it wouldn't have hit the same. But the fact that 24,000 were able to pack in bring the noise and then win in dramatic fashion. It was written in the stars almost, it felt like. Well, really the only other match in recent Whitecaps history I can think of that had a similar feeling was uh, Seattle on decision day at the end of last season. That same thing where, you know, it really meant something to the supporters that day. And, uh, you know, those, those moments, as we said, since we've been doing the podcast have been few and far between. There's been a lot of lean times, a lot of struggle, a lot of questioning what's going on, and not those those moments of pure joy, those moments of just you know feeling something for your team. Uh, and that very much came across on the broadcast, the noise the supporters were making. It seemed like everyone was having a good time, and uh, that's that's just the environment you want, not only if you're going to turn up at the matches, but also if you're if you're a player, right? Like, that's the kind of environment you want to play in. So I'm really hoping we're going to have to see how it goes. I mean, we're back to the realities of an MLS schedule now and the push for the playoffs, but I'm hoping that the Whitecaps, they can continue to win some matches, get close to that playoff bar, that they can rekindle a little bit of that Canadian championship magic the rest of the season because, uh, 
yeah, those are the environments that, that make it fun to cover games, make it fun to attend games, and I'm sure make it fun to play. Yeah, and I think lastly, before we dive into the game itself, hopefully the Whitecaps can just capitalize on the momentum off the field. Because there's no reality it's been hard to support the Whitecaps the last few years, even just beyond how you know awful they were at, at times, you know, especially in that those 2018, 2019 seasons. There's just, you know, the, all the issues off the field with the, you know, the Bob Berarda situation, the the U20 women's team. You know, finally, there's also, you know, been movement on the MLS investigation. I haven't heard any update just, you know, in case anyone's listening for for that. But, you know, things are continuing to happen there. So hopefully soon house can officially be cleared. And hopefully with that, you know, once the that is taken care of, you know, having the Whitecaps having won a trophy, the Whitecaps having had a crowd like this, hopefully can just capitalize on it because this isn't the first time the Whitecaps have had a big crowd. But what has happened in the lo- a lot of those occasions, I think. Seattle in 2017, where they packed the house so well for the playoffs. Portland in 2015 as well. Seattle last year in decision day, yeah, they made it in, but it was a 1-1 draw where not much happened. This was a genuinely top performance, one where it was entertaining. Fans who were there could enjoy, remember, like, hey, we went to that soccer game, that final. Whitecaps won. It was actually pretty fun. Like, that was, you know... It, it, the Whitecaps were generating chances. Toronto were generating chances. It went to penalties. Um, I'd like to say most people who bought a ticket, especially considering how good, you know, good price it is, the half price beers, etc. Obviously, that won't happen every week, but maybe that's something for them to ponder based on how awesome the crowd was. But people are finally going to go to that game and be like, you know what, this Whitecaps team's, you know, worth something. It's not just, okay, we're going to go and see low event soccer, nothing happening. They'll probably lose or draw anyways. No, they're, they're going to, when they're on their game, they can be fun. It, it can be a good environment. I just hope from that perspective, they can really capitalize on the momentum. Of course, they, they need to actually go out and execute that. But hey, if you look at last year when they were winning all those games at home, this isn't something, you know, again, we've mentioned how their home form has been good for a year and a half now. If they can keep that up, I think that would be really good for the crowds because teams are going to realize, okay, this Whitecaps team has won something. They're in a playoff push. They've got a decent roster of guys who are starting to become recognizable. People are starting to know who Ryan Gall, Lucas Cavallini, et cetera, are. Uh, hopefully they can capitalize on that momentum uh, in light of all of that and, and really help them in their push. Whereas last year it felt like, yes, there were all these good things happening once Vanny Sartini came in, but it wasn't until that last game where people were like, oh, they can make the playoffs. Let's all pack it in. I think now there's a chance to, you know, build that up over time. So should they reach decision day and they're in a similar scenario, those crowds have been there for weeks to come and help them in that push. Yeah, you make a good point that there's more of a chance to build something you know over the long term rather than the end of last season was just wild and crazy and it came together so quickly but you know something that i think is going to be crucial to that support is the continued incredibly solid play of your key players Andres Kubas, Ryan Gauld and i mean those two were absolutely full value in this cup final uh Gauld i think this is Finally back to 2021 Gold, um, finding Brian White, uh, just every every pass felt like a key pass, creating chances, unlocking TFC, who left a lot of space in behind uh, when the Whitecaps were able to break on the counter. And then Kubas, I mean, every opportunity the Whitecaps got going forward usually came off of a Kubas tackle, a Kubas interception. Uh, he was just that ultimate destroy and progress figure for Vancouver. 
So I think, you know, essential to what you outlined, Alex, is those two guys becoming brand name, recognizable figures, putting in top tier performances like they have been over the last couple of weeks. Because, I mean, that's something that that supporters come to matches for, to see, um, you know, high quality players and uh, huge credit to Cubas and Gold, who in the in the biggest moment for this club in a long time really showed up in a in a massive way. Yeah, and that's a huge point, and that's something we can. Uh, I, I kind of want to expand on. It's a good point. I thought you got me thinking. Ryan Gold, he's only he's not been here long, but like I'd say, just keep an eye on him because think about it. Um, uh, Whitecaps twenty fifteen Canadian Championship final, big moment for the Whitecaps. Octavio Rivera stepped up, scored, uh, what proved to be the winner in that game. One of the rare times where he really delivered in a big game because, you know, he, he did love to score, but often rarely in big games, Tim Parker sealed it off. They won 2-0, 4-2 on aggregate. Great. But you look at a lot of the other playoff occasions. Portland, where, not, you know, where they just kind of faded out. Their big players didn't step up. The Pedro Moraleses, the Octavio Riveros, whoever you want at the time. In that second leg of that 2015 game, Kakuta Mane was great, got pulled off injured. The rest of his team really couldn't fill the void. 2017, Whitecaps get shut out across both legs. Their big players failed to step up after they stepped up in the bit in the first playoff game, that San Jose win. If you look at most of the big games in Whitecaps history, even last year when they went to Kansas, the big players have struggled to 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 step up in you know in those moments for the Whitecaps. But in someone like Ryan Gauld. What happened last year when they were down one nil against Seattle in you know needing to get to the playoffs? Ryan Gold came up and scored a goal. When have we seen big players do that in this game? You're playing TFC, it's a big game. You need someone who can break the door open. What happens? Ryan Gold floats in a perfect cross to Brian White, goes in, and just looking at the stats from this game, I just he had five chances created, including five key passes, two shots as well one big chance created uh he had a bunch of crosses only on 48 touches too it's not like he was just getting fed the ball like the caps the white caps were playing on tra- in transition and he had to spend a lot of time running off the ball he only had a chance to as- attempt 27 passes yet five of them were key passes you look at andres kubas as well who are adding into this big player discussion you know two chances created from the defensive midfield uh he had Three tackles, two blocks, two clearances, three interceptions, seven ball recoveries, engaged in 11 duels. He only won four of them. But the thing is with Kubas, when he engages in a duel, he usually disrupts something or catches a piece of something or just causes some sort of uh, further down knockdown effect further down the park. Those are two of your best players stepping up in the big moments. Brian White as well had, had created a lot of chances. He set up Toss St. Ricketts nearly for what could have been a magical winner. Uh, even Lucas Cavallini, he doesn't, you know, he, maybe statistically he didn't have a, a wild game, but he still created two chances, had three shots, nearly scored at the beginning of the game. Honestly, all of the Whitecaps' big players played really well in this game, which is not something we're used to hearing in other big games in their history. And I think that bodes really well for them going forward because it's something we've started to see. Yes, it's something, it's a discussion to have. Why do the Whitecaps play their best when the pressure's at the highest, when the crowd's there? And why do they struggle when that pressure kind of comes off of them? But when it comes to, you know, these sort of big games, the Whitecaps genuinely are starting to have big game players. And that's something they arguably have never had in their history. And that bodes super well for 
all of a sudden you're looking at Champions League next year. You're looking at potentially a playoff run. It's nice to know that the Whitecaps have guys like Gald, Kubas, Cavallini, White that want to be in these big games. They want to show up and they want to make things happen. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about this right before the show, but you'd rather have a team that plays up to the level of their competition than a, a team that, that can't handle the heat when it's a big match, right? And that, okay, sometimes that means that they shrink to the level of their competition too, and we saw that against Chicago Fire, right? They're just looking for ways to give that match away. Um, and, but then against TFC, they're able to, I mean, they play the same style, but just the attitude, the discipline, the structure was completely different. And I would give a huge credit to Vanny Sartini too. I thought he outcoached Bob Bradley, just so disciplined in that system. It really felt like all the players were on the same page. And, uh, you know, it's easy in a big moment in a cup final for, for players to go a bit haywire and sort of lose sight of the game plan, but it never felt like that happened. Uh, Vancouver was always organized, and that was a big part of their success. We talked about some of the key players, but I want to give some shout-outs to role players, guys you maybe weren't expecting as much from. And I think we have to start with Jake Nerwinski, who had a all-time performance. I mean, there's there's a great video circulating on Twitter of Nerwinski taking the ball away from Insigne and Insigne just tossing his hands up in the air. And that was emblematic of the match Nerwinski had. He looked comfortable in that back three, which is not something we've seen, uh, you know, handling his 1v1s. I think the lack of a true athletic threat probably helped. Um, Nerwinski seems to fare better when he's not worried about, you know, someone kicking it past him and running in behind. And uh, and then Russell Tybert as well. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect showing, and, and certainly in comparison to Cubass, you're not going to get quite that same level, but... Russell Tybert always seems to bring his best in the Voyagers Cup in the in the Canadian Championship, and it was a really strong showing from him. And then the young player of the tournament, Ryan Raposo, continuing to have a breakout year. And I think uh, well, shout out as I always do on the show, uh, Caleb Wilkins, who who said the other day, you know, even if at this point all Raposo is is a really solid squad player for Vancouver that looks like a success story rather than a a wasted super draft pick and you know he continues to provide he has these matches where he's really buzzing the first half I thought was was tremendous from Raposo actually gave TFC a lot of trouble I mean Vancouver could have had two three goals in that first half and and Raposo was a a big reason for some of those chances so you know not only did you have your big players show up but you had some guys who have uh, you know, been scapegoats, been players that people have pointed figures at this year. They showed up in this match as well. And, you know, that's that's how you win a final when you, you have both your depth players and your star players putting in quality performances. I think that's what the Whitecaps need. And this is great because we mentioned the big players. The Whitecaps have a core of big players now. It's finally, I guess you could say, but they have arguably what you could call a big six, if I would say you got Ryan Gold, Andres Kubas, Lucas Cavallini, and then I'd extend the three I'd add into that would be Brian White, Julian Gressel. Now that he's coming, obviously he hasn't hit the ground running, but he will be a, a part of that as we've seen in flashes. And then Ranko Veselinovic at the back. 
what happens is I, I think when all of those guys are healthy, they'll probably all be on the field at the same time. Maybe depending on the matchup, we might see one of Cavalini or White sit. But as we saw in Toronto FC uh, this game, the gold white Cavalini stuff is finally starting to come together. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that trio going forward. So assuming those big six are starting every game when they're healthy, you're still going to need contributions from the other positions, especially given how wide open the depth is. And we know Vanny Sartini, he wants guys to win positions. He wants the guys to win the battle. So the, the battle in midfield is still wide open in terms of, you know, Kyle Alessandre, Russell Tiber, Leonard Owusu, Jenny Bakel potentially now a new face into that mix who we'll talk about later. You look at the left wing back position, it's going to be Ryan Raposo. Marcus Godinho has been playing there. Christian Dahomey has been playing there. There's going to be a battle there. Center back. We know it's wide open unless your name is Ranko Veselinovic. Pardon me. You can even extend in goal that discussion until something figures out in goal. But if those players who are being asked to step in play like they do in this game, that's going to be huge. And I think that's where the Whitecaps really had a good performance because against a team like Toronto FC, with the talent that was on the field, you needed to buy in from everyone. Because as good as Kubas, Gold, et cetera, could have been, it could have been undone so easily if Federico Bernadeschi, you know, cooks Tristan Blackman. And, you know, and, and a goal happens, like, say, you know, maybe like that Chris Mueller goal from the weekend where Blackman, I thought Blackman did what he could, but it was still a goal where you're fr- it was a bit tough to give up and kind of sunk the caps right at the end of the game. If a goal like that happens from Bernadeschi, it kills your momentum. Or Lorenzo Insigne burns Jake Nowinski and puts in a, a ball in the top corner. That's a moment where you just feels like all this hard work you're doing is undone in a flash. And the fact that the Whitecaps came to play, I mean, firstly, Norwinski, I mean, the way he stepped up, you have to give full credit because he hasn't always, you know, it's it's been a not necessarily the year we've wanted for Jake Norwinski. You always like what he can bring in a back four, liked what he's brought as a fullback. Even last year as a center back, he showed good things, but this year just hadn't uh, been working. But when he has a game like this, you can be happy for him and just see what, you know, he's able to bring, uh, you know, even the leadership, the one-on-ones. The one thing that's nice with Jake, too, and he's confident, he can get out of pretty sticky situations when playing out the back, which can actually help a lot the way he just continued to dribble past Lorenzo and Zinga every time and, and play a pass into Kubas's feet to, to then push the play forward. I think having that at the center back positions is going to be huge as Eric Godoy continues to struggle with uh, his calves, you know, between Ranko Veselinovic and Tristan Blackman being locked in setters, the Whitecaps do need Black, uh, you know, on the or on the right right side. I guess it looks like now, based on Blackman now looking to be the left side of center back. If Godoy isn't healthy, Florian Youngworth is usually playing more in the middle. It's between Jermaine Brown, Jake Nowinski to be the step up. If it's Jake Nowinski against wingers like Insigne, uh, and then Jermaine Brown against faster wingers. If those two can find a way to step up whoever's asked, I think the Whitecaps can do, you know, we've seen it in isolation. Those two can have games. Otherwise, Reiner Post, I don't have much to say. Just he's he's done so well. He's arguably from in my best 11, depending on what Christian Gutierrez looks like when he finally comes back. He's in the discussion to be in my best 11, which just shows how far he's come since the beginning of the year where it was hard to shoehorn him in anywhere. He just he's added so much value at the wing back position, and between those two and Tybert, uh, continuing to you know for for whatever you think of Russell Tybert, there is no secret that he's actually looked good beside Kubas. They have a bit of a partnership going on. He's playing progressive balls now uh, again. Whenever he has someone beside him who can do the dirty work, he can play the ball forward. 
those sort of depth performances were huge. Shout out to Tristan Blackman as well, who had a very good depth performance and helped the Whitecaps stars push the result over the line. Yeah, I mean, just kind of rounding it out, thinking of a couple other things. I mean, the one thing about Nerwinski and Brown at that that right center back spot is you just got to avoid Javain's one in five matches. It's just like... 20 25 minutes in you know it's going poorly and it's almost like you want to sub sub Javain off at that moment he's good 80 percent of the time but like Chicago was a great example it just wasn't his night so uh you know yeah you got to find a way to balance Nerwinski and Brown at that position and then the other guy I wanted to shout out from the final itself was just Godinho off the bench there were a couple electric moments with the ball at his feet I mean that's a diff- different gravy right there when he when he gets the ball at his feet sometimes, and uh, and he's been rock solid. I mean took a bit of a a bit of a knock, and I think that was probably some some load management. Uh, but obviously Raposo played a great match. Dahomey looked decent. So uh, you know I think we're we're gonna see a lot more out of Gadino the rest of the year as he continues to have some some really good form. So just shouting him out as well. Uh, but. One of the things, Alex, that surprised, I don't know if it surprised me, but something I was unsure about going into this match was we saw Isaac Bomer start back on the weekend against the Chicago Fire, and you were sort of wondering, okay, well, what does this mean for the Canadian Championship final? It turns out it meant Cody Cropper took the net. Uh, we saw Thomas Hassall play for Whitecaps FC2. Where does this leave the goalkeeping situation? Because right now you've got three keepers involved, and I don't really have any idea where they're going to go with this the rest of the year. Oh boy, it's a it's the situation. It's uh, it's a situation, but it's not not necessarily a bad situation. But it's just like, yeah, what do you do? Where where do you go? Do you go give the reins back to Hassal, who you promised to be the number one? You give the reins now to Bomer, the new number, you know, the new future number one that popped in and had a few good games. Do you keep it with Cropper, who, you know, he's continued to have, for whatever you think of Cody Cropper, he steps up in big games. We'll give him that. He does seem to like a, a big moment, uh, a, a big occasion, the penalties, shootouts, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's a tough question for the Whitecaps. You do want to figure out some stability as the, the rest of the season goes along. But, uh, yeah, again, like you mentioned, it's such a tough question long term as well. Like what, what happens with Cropper after the season with Bomer's emergence? Do you go Hassal Bomer? Do you keep Cropper around because he's been so good? Do you sell high on Cropper? Do you potentially pick up an option and trade him for around MLS? He is American. He's not that that old and could provide value similar to like say a Brad Stuver did to Austin, uh, you know, post expansion. St. Louis is coming in. They did sign Roman Berkey, of course, so maybe not St. Louis, but Anyways, just a lot of, lots to ponder between those uh, situations. I'm just honestly stumped because it feels like every week I have a clear answer and then every week the plan just goes out the window in terms of uh, the white cap. So I just honestly, at this point, it's see how training goes, rotate minutes between the guys who go to caps too, like between Bomer, maybe even Hassal as he continues to get his rhythm back. Uh, for now, Cropper seems to honestly i guess I'll, I'll say it cropper appears to be the guy right now i think that's clear and as long as he keeps playing like he can in th- these big games i have no problems with it i think again you see with cropper's leadership on the field when his team is organized 
in front of him. I think Cropper is excellent. I think that's going to be the key for the Whitecaps is can they remain organized in front of Cropper? And I guess that goes to all their keepers because when they struggled defensively and let in goals and maybe when some of Cropper's had some of his quieter games, it's been when everything's chaotic in front of him. I think at this stage of Cropper's career, he's a very solid goalkeeper. He's a good leader at the back. He's organized. He's a goalkeeper that in a system like that, he will excel. He's not maybe a freestyle goalkeeper where things break down. He's not always going to come out and bail you out with the big save. He has it in him. We've seen him do it on, on occasions, but he's not one of those goalkeepers where they love the chaos. Like you put him in a chaotic backline and he's going to thrive. He does like a bit of organization in front of him. And I think as long as the Whitecaps can continue to provide that, let him run the rest of the year, sprinkle in Hassal and Bomer, depending on how things go. And then revisit this in the offseason. Maybe you sell high on Cropper. Maybe you, you try to you know convince one of uh, someone to take on a Hassal or Bomer. I do would like to keep them around long term because I still want to see Hassal in the goal long term. Uh, even Bomer's shown some flashes that you'd want to see more of long term. But I think for now, Cropper, it, it's his goal unless anything disastrous happens. I think he he did very well to, to prove that in the final because in recent weeks, it wasn't so sure, at least maybe from my perspective, at least from our perspective on the show. But I think Cropper did well to win back the, the position and they should just run with it, I guess. I mean, I, to me, choosing to start him in the final when a – a Canadian roster spot is valuable, right? Like that was the biggest vote of confidence you could see because, you know, that was a prime moment for a Hassal or a Bomer, but no, they went with the guy they were most confident in a big match and that's Cody Cropper right now. And I, I think that's okay, especially because Bomer and Hassal can play for Whitecaps FC too. I mean, Cropper certainly is cape could do that but they're not going to do that so it just makes more sense from like a roster management situation obviously cropper seems like a leader on the team kind of you know carries that title and and as you said if if the white caps are going to play organized they're going to keep things in front of them uh cropper's probably not going to make a bunch of exceptional saves but he's also not going to uh let in anything too soft for the most part so I think you're right. It's just you go forward with Cropper, give Hassal the net every once in a while on a, on a busy match week um, if something pops up. But uh, it does feel like that's the way they're going, which is uh, not a storyline we saw coming into the year. But, uh, you know, it's working for the Whitecaps. And, and, yeah, he was rock solid in the final, solid in in the penalty shootout as well. So uh, no complaints there. But Alex, you you wanted to talk about a uh, another veteran on the roster, uh, a guy who's been providing some surprising contribution this year in Toss Ricketts. So let's go there. Yeah, I mean, just to St. Ricketts, it feels feels like the forgotten man of the Whitecaps roster because there's always the the the, the patch when Cavallini and White were playing off each other. So they'd be one would be starting, one would be coming off the bench. So that kind of left St. Ricketts. And a bit of a you know forgotten situation, and then you got you know the the other options the Whitecaps have an attack your Diver Caicedo's etc. But to Saint Ricketts, I think that's he's played in four of the last five MLS games. He's played in three of the Canadian Championship games. He's somehow he's played I think just under three hundred minutes. He has two goals, one assist, one or two disallowed goals. I keep forgetting it's so at least one disallowed goal. Like his value that he's bringing the Whitecaps right now is exceptional. 
I think that it just must be said. And I think the Whitecaps have to continue to find a, a role for him as the season goes along. He was so good in this depth role for TFC when they won. It's important to remember that for all the Giovinkos and Vasquez's and Altadores doing all this damage at the beginning of games and the superstars, to St. Ricketts played a huge role in those MLS Cup triumphs. I think for the Whitecaps, seeing the role he was able to play in the Canadian Championship where he only had three appearances off the bench, but he came off against Cavalry, helped them get a late equalizer, uh, you know, with his pressure leading to that corner that was eventually, I thought it was an Ergodoy goal. Turns out officially it's an own goal from Dan Klump, funny, funnily enough. Uh, then against York United, he came off, helped them see out the game after that late Isaiah Johnston goal scare. Then in the final, he comes on against TFC, almost scores a, a, a dream late winner. Great save from Alex Bono, it must be said, and, and just provided value, helped them push and really gain momentum at the end. And I bet you, uh, had there been extra time in the final, to St. Ricketts would have played a big role in that extra frame. I think to St. Ricketts has to play, continue to play a role like this going forward. If Vanny Sartini doesn't believe he has the legs to play, to start or play more than 30 minutes fair, but I think you have to start playing him every game or at least as often as you can when you're either chasing late goals or you have a lead just because he's providing so much value for the team right now. Heck, even another memory off the top of my head now that I'm looking how good was he against LAFC when they got that one goal lead with the Kubas goal and they brought him in and he made that one turn where he turned like two LAFC defenders inside out, killed the clock, nearly scored a great goal. And so for Toussaint Ricketts, I just want to shout his play out because it felt like at the beginning of the season they weren't going to bring him back, at least not on the field. There was the whole off the field thing. Obviously, the big he's doing a big role in the, in the front office right now. Uh, helping the the inclusion, the diversity side, some other important uh, you know initiatives have been pushed forward. I hope, obviously, I hope they can keep him around long term. But I think he's showed this year that for all the talk about Toss St. Ricketts and what he's going to bring in the future, his his present is still very good. And I think the Whitecaps should find a way to weaponize that because especially if you start going Cavallini and Gal- uh, and White full term as they should. It's going to be nice to spell one of them with, with Ricketts for 30 or 25 minutes off the bench in games just because he gives you something different. He can help you when you're losing, when you're winning, when you're tied and, and bring some value. And it, it brings something to, to, to consider long term because it felt like this this year almost was kind of one of the last years for Tissette Ricketts. But I think if he keeps this up, it's going to make things interesting in the future because, yes, you have a lot of young strikers coming through the pool. But if you can keep him around for 2023, maybe even 2024, all of a sudden, he's shown a, a lot of value on the pitch as well as off it. I don't have too much to add, but talk about a guy who I think gets the absolute most out of what he's got. Like the the IQ, the the effort level, the athleticism. He, he creates opportunities that don't look like they should be there. And, you know, I think even you take a look at him at training like he's probably not going to blow you away with his his touch on the ball or his you know he's not like a master technician but he just he's got a sense for it and it's just like oh there's toss again he finds a way to get on the end of that ball he finds a way to you know capitalize on a on a loose pass out of the back and and just create and and be positive he's perfect for that that 20 minutes and i really like your point about if they're going to go Calvin White up top, then that makes that substitute striker role a lot more valuable. And I think given the way Toss is playing, that's you look at that as a positive, right? You want to see a little more of that. And, and I, I also think you're right, too, looking back at the Canadian Championship final. I mean, obviously they held very little of the ball, but 
when Gauld, White, and Kava got in space on the counter, that was some of the the best, most put-together attacking I'd seen from those three as, as a group, and it, it makes me very excited about what they can do the rest of the year. Now, I know, I mean, Lucas Monoton, Shane O'Neill, it's not the best CB pairing in MLS, so, uh, you know, the, they're going to face greater challenges than that, but I, I did think tactically... Uh, that is, was something to be really excited about out of this match. Even though Lucas Cavallini didn't have the, the goal production to go with it, it was still encouraging. Yeah, and I think ultimately that trio, I'm excited for it to build. Because you look, Cavallini has seven goals in MLS play, two assists on MLS. We know that those are secondary assists as well. I just don't have the the numbers at readily available right now. Ryan Gold has three MLS goals. Uh as you know, as well as five MLS assists plus two in the Canadian Championship, off the top of my head. So that means he's got around, you know, three goals, seven assists. Uh, you got Brian White, three goals in MLS play, three goals in the Canadian Championship, so six goals. Uh, I think he has a, an assist or two in there. That trio is pr- bringing value. They're causing you know defenses problems. They can play in transition, etc. But it's good that Toss St. Ricketts with his two goals, one assist, can fit as well into that whole discussion. I guess it's tough if you're looking for uh, Christian Dahomey, who you'd love to have in that attacking conversation. And maybe Dahomey can also be a guy who can spell off the bench as well as Pedro Vite. But right now you're looking, it has to be Cavallini, White, Gold going forward. I think you look at the schedule now that you're not, no longer dealing with the cup. There are a few midweek games, yes, because of course there's an international break as well uh, in September. But... And also the season finishes earlier because of the World Cup. But the the schedule isn't as congested as it was. You have time to let Cavallini White Gold build, play them as much as possible, uh, you know, and then we'll 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 see from there. And I think because if you want going into the playoffs, uh, should the Whitecaps make it there, a I think that that trio will help them get them there. But I think in the playoffs you want that trio on the pitch doing their thing, and then of course to St. Ricketts in a support role. So shout out to just, just wanted to give a shout out to Toss. It feels like no one's talking about how good he's been. Going to be interesting to see what happens. Because I do think the Whitecaps give credit to them. I think beginning of the year or about a year and a half ago, we mentioned how the Whitecaps young player pool had zero strikers in it. And all of a sudden this year they've gone out. Emiliano Brienz has really stepped up again. He was the only one, but now he's he stepped up. They've added Philip Rakic. They've added... Uh, the Joe Hansen, the Yukon-born product. Now they've added Easton Ungaro and sounds like reportedly, which is an awesome transfer, by the way, Lowell Wright uh, into their system. Uh, they've also, even if you look down at the the U19 team, they've got Chris Album, who's been scoring for fun in the Fraser Valley and in League One BC, if no one's been paying attention. Even German Sanga is someone they might look like they could sign as well. There's a lot of young strikers all of a sudden in the pool. The Whitecaps are looking to, to supplement that area long-term, but looks like to St. Ricketts isn't quite ready to let his role go. So maybe it'll be interesting preseason next to see how, you know, to St. Ricketts goes and, and, and competes against your Lowell Wrights, Easton Ungaros, all these guys I just mentioned. But also at the same time, tell me to St. Ricketts mentoring a guy like Lowell Wright won't be very awesome long-term. So lots to like there, just to say with the striker position for the Whitecaps. Used to be a dark hole, but all of a sudden you've got Cavalier, you've got White, you've got Ricketts. Who would have seen that coming a few years ago? Lastly, and I guess as we go through this, penalties. Whitecaps all of a sudden this year have turned into penalty specialist is it too early to say that who knows but sam two penalty shootouts two wins 
They've been scoring penalties in MLS play. They used to struggle at these. How nice has that been from their perspective? Well, not to sound like a broken record, but I think it goes back to a couple things we've already talked about, which is your big players having confidence and showing up in, in big matches and big moments. I mean, the two best taken penalties of that shootout, Ryan Gold, Andres Kubas, uh, both taken with incredible confidence, no doubt. Uh, it basically, doesn't matter what the keeper does, he's not stopping either of those shots. And then also, you know, shout out to Gareth Wheeler, not something I'm going to say very often on this podcast, but I got, I thought it was a good fact that the Whitecaps used 10 different players to take the 10 shots in the Canadian championship. I thought that was really interesting. So goes to show a a depth on the squad, um, guys willing to step up in those big moments. Uh, So I thought that was really cool. Gressel. I mean, it was nervy there, but a big moment for him to sort of become part of the club, right? You, you could see how much it meant to him when that did get across the line. And then, I mean, I shout out Tristan Blackman just because what a shrewd offseason acquisition. They're able to do the, the Charlotte thing and pick him up from LAFC, and he's able to now cement himself, will forever be enshrined as the guy who won the Vancouver Whitecaps their second Canadian championship. So that's a cool moment. He's been playing well this year as well. So I feel like the the PK is beyond just, okay, are they PK specialists? Are they not? It points at a lot of the things that went well in that match and have overall been going well this season for the for the Caps. So I think that was uh, that was cool the way it happened. Yeah, I think I just want to shout out the Whitecaps for just the preparation they've been really putting in in a lot of important areas. We saw it with set pieces, how with Luke Summers and company, they've been really able to improve uh, their set pieces and weaponize it. It's an area where teams teams around the league, unfortunately, don't really care about uh, set pieces, a lot of them. They just kind of put a guy in the corner and whip balls in and hope things go well. You can weaponize set pieces. The the Whitecaps love to weaponize their their throw-ins, uh, you know, their... There are all the sorts of corners, free kicks, etc. Now as well with penalties, they're realizing it's not just a lottery where you okay, you have you let Ryan Gold go every time. He's your best player. You let him figure out what he's doing. You can tell there's a data driven approach. You can tell there's research being done. Like before the York game, when I went to training, they spent 25 minutes training penalties before that game. They obviously did something similar for this TFC match. And they spend time going through the data, tendencies, giving Cody Cropper, okay, where do guys like to go? You know, it's no coincidence a guy like Jonathan Azoria, who unfortunately I think he's missed almost every penalty he's taken in his career. Cody Cropper dove to the right side. So he obviously had the data and nearly made a save. And even on a lot of them, he was close to to to, to catching uh, some of those penalties. And it's just nice to see. The Whitecaps are 14 for 15 this year in penalties. The only miss they had was in that weird Portland game where they had like three penalties and Christian Dahomey missed one, uh, which is rare from him. He's only missed two, and one of them he scored his own rebound. Uh, That was last year against Pacific. So they really started to figure things out. It just felt like last, uh, especially in 2020, the worst was at MLS's back when they missed three out of their four penalties and lost in pretty unceremonious fashion. They've been putting in the work. I think that's just, you know, indicative of what the Whitecaps are doing right now. And I think ha- credit has to be given. Yes, you can say, look at the Whitecaps. Like, oh, they're not signing any Bernardeskis or Insignes or Bales. They're cheap, et cetera, et cetera. 
But the fact of the matter is, whether you like it or not, the Whitecaps, A, have been putting money into their team. I think that 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 myth has gone long out of the window. We've admitted it, like $4 million for Caicedo, $5 million or $6 million for Cabo, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to go through that. But what's been most important and the biggest change is that they're looking under every rock to get value, be it trading for Tristan Blackman because they like his stats and he's available for cheap. Ditto with Brian White, ditto with Julian Gressel, all these shrewd acquisitions, looking for leagues. Yes, Andres Kubas plays in the league, it's not sexy, but getting Andres Kubas out of league de, and on the cheap. Then within their team, weaponizing free kicks, studying penalties. There's a data-driven approach. They've got Nikos Overhul making decisions, all this. And I think that's where the Whitecaps have made the biggest inroads, and hopefully that's where that can pay off for them long-term because it feels like there's a plan there's market inefficiencies there's data and there's the sort of stuff that sustainably long-term can help you because uh, let's, let's be real this sport sometimes yes it's a luck-driven sport it's a crapshoot in some areas like a final like a you know playoffs etc but finally the white caps are making the most of it so they could reach those sorts of occasions more often be best prepared for those situations and i just think the penalty specialists that we've seen for them them become this year is a huge indicator of the growth they've made in that area i mean we've been talking about this for a long time on the podcast uh, you know you have to buy yourself enough tickets to the raffle you know you have to it's not just enough to bring in one player you have to like we, we heaped praise on LAFC a couple of weeks ago, right? You have to build your roster, not just in one way, but every way available to you. And it does feel like slowly the Whitecaps are doing more of that. Uh, they're in the market for free agents. They're in the market for young Canadians. They're in the market for, you know, undervalued internationals. The, the scope of um, the rocks they're willing to look under has significantly increased during the time Nico's overhaul has been here and uh, it's starting to pay dividends and that's super exciting. Okay, last thing on the Canadian Championship front before we dive a little bit into the upcoming match this weekend. Alex, way too early 2023 Canadian Championship predictions. You put this one on the list. Uh, I'm looking forward to your thoughts. I have an idea uh, where I'm going to go with it in terms of a winner. So i uh, excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I just mean, keep an eye on next year's tournament. It sounds like a new team is coming in in Vancouver slash Langley FC, whatever you want to call them, over in the CPL. So it'll be expanded to 14 teams. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like League One BC will be able to send a, a team unless something wild happens. But So we'll assume it stays at 14 teams. Very good field. Very good field. I mean, the CPL teams are pushing. I do feel like next year... Uh, there's a good chance one of them could make the final. I think if Forge keeps doing what they're doing and they don't lose any more talent, uh, you know, ditto with some of the other teams. Even a team like Ottawa, I'm sure, is itching to play a, an MLS team and do some damage. Uh, but it's going to be fun. I think between Montreal, Toronto, Vancouver, they're all building something. They're all got a lot of pieces that looks like they're cresting towards something in the future. Because of that, I think it's going to be a very wide open uh, addition. And I think, honestly, I don't know who to peg as favorite so far because I think Montreal, based on the amount of youth, but they're going to lose a lot of guys. So I think we're going to see, I'm going to put it out here now because we may as well throw predictions because of that. I think we're going to see a Whitecaps-Toronto final rematch. Uh, I think it's it's going to be due. We're going to see a lot of this going forward, uh, but I do think 
Montreal is going to make things interesting. They always do. And I think if I'm going to look at a team in the CPL, watch out for Ottawa next year. Yeah, so I was going to say it's very, very dependent on who they're able to keep or who they're able to bring in to replace some of the guys that get moved out. But I mean, we got to just, you know, shout out Montreal's fourth in the East in, in MLS right now. They've got a ton of exciting young players. I know that, you know, getting blown out by TFC sort of overshadows that in terms of the Canadian Championship, but I like uh, the coaching. I like the roster they've been building. I think there's a lot of things to be excited about that. And uh, yeah, even in comparison to the Whitecaps model, the Whitecaps seem to now under overhaul be building quietly. Like we talk about Gressel, uh, some of the people that they're they're looking at currently. The focus seems to be a bit more on 27, 28 year olds. We talked about this on the last podcast. TFC obviously going for that those veterans who they're going to you know ride out for the next couple of years. Montreal's more on the younger end of the spectrum, which which I like, I think is exciting. So uh, curious to see how a year from now that pans out, that develops. So Montreal is my team to watch. I'm going to go with a Montreal-Vancouver final. Um, and yeah, I think, I think Forge is, as always, a force to be reckoned with in this competition and could very easily... Uh, do some damage once again as you said ottawa's been been trending and then cavalry i mean uh tommy wielden jr made a good point vancouver whitecaps still haven't beat his team over the course of 90 minutes uh so maybe you know a little bit more luck in the penalty shootout they're able to to create another upset and uh you know pacific looking to to regroup maybe they can find some more magic as well it's Every year, it feels like now, because of the Canadian Premier League, because of things like League One BC, uh, the level of this competition just continues to grow and grow, which which makes the competition itself that much better. So uh, very much looking forward to it. It's uh, too long to wait already. Yeah, just keep stay tuned. I think it's going to be tough for anyone next year, and that's awesome. I mean, all three MLS teams are going to go for it. All the CPL teams are... A lot to prove. Even the the PLSQ League One Ontario team has caused fits for for teams at times this year. So can't wait. It's going to be nice to see how this tournament grows. It's becoming a legitimate tournament, a tough tournament, and hopefully we can see some cup sets. I would love to see a CPL team in the final. I I mean, shout out down to the our neighbors down south. I mean, we saw Sacramento Republic USL team beat. Sporting Kansas City, incredibly down bad Sporting Kansas City to make the final. We have an Orlando versus Sacramento Republic U.S. Open Cup final. That's pretty awesome. So hopefully we can see something like that in the Canadian Championship going forward. So all of this to say that while the Whitecaps conquered the mountain, it's not like in 2015. 2015, you're like, yay, they conquered a five-team mountain. Can they conquer it again next year? And they made the final. It's not a guarantee the Whitecaps even make the final next year again. Like It's going to be tough to get even out of the, the preliminary round, or you, I, maybe I guess as champions, they'll finally get a bye into the next round. But even as, with the bye, it's not going to be easy. You could very well end up with a draw that's like Langley away, and that's going to be a tough one if you're playing Langley away uh, on that turf, or even if it's Pacific away. Something like that could easily happen uh, in terms of that. So just say the Whitecaps, they're going to take it seriously. We know that they, they love this competition now. They want to keep make winning it a habit, but let's just say it's it's not going to be easy for, for them to do it. And just that's why I'm excited 
for this tournament. But anyways, we're going to roll through things quickly here. we got a jam-packed second half of the show that we're going to roll through here quickly. And uh, we'll, we'll bring it to you right after a quick word from our friends over at Macy Sports. Hey, third sub listeners, Sam here with a quick word from our friends at Macy's Sports. Been a while since we did an ad read, so thought we'd update you on a couple of things available in store. Uh, first and foremost of those, Darby Magazine, issue number two, out now and available for purchase. Uh, if you like good storytelling about Canadian soccer, uh, it's a great writing great photography great overall aesthetic it's a good publication for you and uh stories in there on atiba hutchinson daniel henry julia grosso as well obviously gold medal winner also vancouver whitecaps women's alumni so that's awesome Uh, but beyond darby you've also got um, some fresh offerings from adidas on the boots front um always apparel uh, supporters gear that kind of stuff as well if you're looking to dive into the summer season with some new kit or maybe just reading up on a few canadian soccer stories macy's has the stuff for you so uh cheers to macy's as always now we'll head back to the show all right so for the whitecaps trophy celebrations i hope they were good as many sartinis Succinctly put it, though, his team's on a tight timeline. Wednesday they or Tuesday they get drunk. Wednesday they rest. Thursday they get right back into training, and that's because there is no rest for the wicked. No chance to to enjoy your days with the cup. They have MLS action to deal with, and they have a big, pretty big game. I'd honestly say their first ever matchup against Nashville Soccer Club. Very fun club. A club we've we've bigged up a few times on the show because they're doing a pretty good job of building things newest western conference team they are and they've so far adapted nicely to life over in the west currently sitting sixth 31 points three points off third five points ahead of the white caps uh, they're, they're in their new stadium where they've been pretty good eight wins seven losses seven draws 28 goals for in 22 games 28 goals against very solid overall well-rounded team Big game for the Whitecaps of him, chance to narrow the ground in the playoff race. So no time to rest, and this is going to be a tough matchup for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if LA Galaxy is able to win their game in hand, then this is the closest team that uh, you know that Vancouver can look at currently above the playoff bar. So one of those teams, they're going to have to jump the rest of the season. Interestingly enough, Nashville actually home record this season has not been great. This this match is in Nashville. Uh, only three, four, and two. They've actually taken more points away from home. 18 points away from home versus 13 at home. So that's a bit curious. Overall, this Nashville team, uh, I mean, it's been a bit of a one-man show, frankly speaking, in terms of the offensive creation. Hani Mukhtar, uh, 12 goals, three assists. He's actually performing below expected in that regard he's got something ridiculous like 14 expected goals on the season uh, cg sapong's been putting in some work at the striker position rendell leal's obviously a good player a bit of a down year in terms of goal scoring for him so far uh, but really this is a team that's that's solid defensively not a lot of weaknesses uh, but maybe outside of Mukhtar, not 
a ton of explosive options. So it will be interesting to see how Vancouver brings their bunker encounter disciplined approach into Nashville, uh, what Nashville is able to do to respond to that, and uh, ultimately, you know, shutting down a couple star players Nashville has will will be a challenge just like it was against TFC. Uh, if you can neutralize those weapons, I think really Vancouver is able to create decent chances against anyone um, on the counter. You know, Ryan Gold, Brian White, Lucas Cavallini, that's a deadly front three. And uh, I think they can they can create good chances against most teams in MLS. There's there should be goals in it. The question is, uh, can they stay compact, dif- disciplined defensively, the way they get did against TFC? Because uh, you know there's also that Chicago performance lurking uh, that they've got to stay away from. Yeah, I mean it's this is going to be a good chance for them to find some momentum. Really, I think the Whitecaps. They just need to find some consistency, really. It's going to be key in MLS play. You can't be having up and downs where you go to Portland and play your best game, arguably one of the best games of the season on the road, and then just, you know, come out flat against Chicago at home in a, in a game you should be winning. So for the Whitecaps, hopefully they can use this win as a chance to prove what they're capable of and what they're capable of in these games. Hopefully they can build some road form too because they've looked really good on the road lately and they've been picking up points so hopefully they can maybe even get a win eventually on the road or at least continue to draw and and make things interesting for themselves with results at home so i think for for them that'll be key in light of this latest canadian championship triumph because you know 12 games i guess it is for them in the playoff push uh lots can happen between then things are tight you'd want them to come out on the right end of things uh, they do have a little, a, a good chunk of home games to end off the season. So if they can make themselves competitive uh, in terms of getting road results and the, everything's just set up so nicely for them. Like you get Nashville away you get Houston Dynamo at home, which is just a ginormous game, low, low key turning out to, you know, to be obviously Houston just behind. You have to win that game. Absolutely. Especially if you lose to them, it, they leapfrog you. You got LA Galaxy away, another huge, ginormous game based on how they're playing. Colorado at home, another must win. RSL away, another game where, like, you're not, I'm looking at the schedule. You got Nashville at home after RSL away. Finally, well, it's, it's all West game. opponents the rest of the way, right? Like, this TFC Cup yeah. tie was the last Eastern opponent they're facing, and Chicago before was the last East opponent in MLS play. So, it's they're all six pointers from here on out. And not just that, but I'm just looking like, other than maybe, oh boy, like not only are they all six pointers, like they're not playing LAFC, Austin, even, you know, many teams that are significantly ahead of them. They're playing the teams that are within like one to, to six points of them. Like they're playing teams where winning or losing genuinely seismically shift the table. So it doesn't get easy for the Whitecaps here on out. So if they can channel some of that form they found last August where they just decided to not lose for the rest of the, the season or whatever it was, or just lose once, uh, you know, that would be very nice because, wow, the games don't get any easier or less important for them here, which that's what they need, to be honest. We said they like to have their backs against the wall. Well, Vancouver, your backs are certainly against the wall, so no time to to, to take it easy and be like, oh, it's an Eastern team. Oh, it's game 12 of 34. Crunch time starts now, so it's going to be interesting if they can step up the way they typically have in these big games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just something else looking at Nashville, I think a point of you know potential weakness is 
Joe Willis in goal is is I think MLS average. He's performing just under uh, minus three goals, you know, than expected so far this year. So that's kind of kind of Cody Cropper pace, but uh, you know, certainly not uh, kind of plus value in goal. And then over the last four matches, a real mixed bag for Nashville: a four-one loss away at Charlotte, a one-nil home win over Seattle, a uh, Two to one home loss to LAFC, and then most recently out in the road, one one draw with FC Cincinnati. So a little bit of everything really for this uh, Nashville team over those last four, and uh, ultimately this is a team's kind of low event um, at, at both ends of the pitch. Haven't surrendered a ton, haven't created a ton. Uh, they've only conceded more than two goals against once. That was the the 4-1 loss to Charlotte. So uh, you're probably not going to have a huge offensive explosion, but there are goals to be had. Uh, Alex, curious for your thoughts in terms of what you've seen from Nashville, what kind of matchup you're expecting. Should be tight. I think Nashville, for the most part, you look at their goals for, their goals against, you look at a lot of their results. I mean, they try to be solid defensively. They've lost a bit of that this year, which I find interesting because before they were like an impenetrable wall. You do wonder if losing Alistair Johnston didn't help in the sense that, you know, he was a very key part of their their defense, but he still got Walker Zimmerman, one or three-time defender of the year. Obviously, you know what he can bring. They've switched to a back five. Uh, you know, they've thrown in Dave Romney at, at the full, you know, at the, the center back position, which is a bit of an interesting uh, tweak as well. Uh, Jack Maher as well, center back. Those three have kind of, you know, rolled through. Uh, so for, for Nashville, they're just, they're a team where it's going to be very tightly contested. You look at all their last results, 1-1 against Cincy, a narrow 1-2 loss to LAFC, a 1-0 win over, uh, you know, Seattle. That Yeah, they had that 4-1 drubbing by Charlotte, which was a bit of a surprise. 2-2 against Portland, 3-1 win over DC United, 2-1 uh, loss to SKC. A lot of these games are tight. I think it's going to be low event, and I think that's going to be good for the Whitecaps on the road. I think that's going to be the sort of game that can suit them. It's going to be interesting to see how Nashville sets up just because typically they're not a team that holds a lot of possession, and neither are the Whitecaps. So it's kind of that battle of who's going to take the initiative. I think the Whitecaps are almost going to want Nashville to hold more of the ball just so they can hit on transition like they do. So. For, for Vancouver, it's, it's going to be about dictating the game as much as possible, but also playing into certain aspects of the Nashville game, such as that back three, such as their inability to hold a lot of possession and, and capitalize on that. And from there, it's going to be easy. Uh, the, the formula is going to be easy. Try and keep Hani Mukhtar quiet just because he's so dangerous. Like he's a genuine threat in the sense that he's everywhere. He hurts you with goals, he hurts you with assists. There's not many threats like him in MLS because you look at the rest of the team. Yeah, CJ Sapon can hurt you in isolation, and Alex Moyle can hurt you in isolation, but Henny Mukhtar is the guy. So if they can shut him down and, and sit sit deep as they have and hit in transition, there could be an avenue to, to, to work there, but otherwise I expect low event, and I expect a very interesting chess match. Gary Smith is a very good coach on Nashville. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, so looking ahead to that matchup, one thing I wanted to highlight some of the guys who didn't play in the Canadian Championship Final, didn't start in the Canadian Championship Final, that might have a big role to play this upcoming weekend. So four guys came to mind. Javane Brown, Marcus Godinho, Pedro Vite, and Julian Gressel, 
who do we think has the the biggest showing, the biggest role to play this weekend? Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, the Whitecaps, it's going to be interesting to see. I think Julian Gressel, 100%, could play a big role this weekend. He's gotten his feet wet. He's gotten his 45 in the first game. He got his 30 or whatever, 40 was off the bench. Has looked good. I think the Whitecaps could use that service when he's been on the field. He uh, certainly could 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 play a big role uh, for them. Uh, I mean, otherwise, it's going to be interesting to see how Vanny Sartini rotates his lineup because you do want to rest some guys now. Not to say you you want you want to rest them. You know, you do all these games are important, but you look at that Houston Dynamo game next week. You're coming off a cup win that was pretty emotionally, physically draining. I think you do want to be careful with this Nashville matchup in the sense that. You, you go in with what you can, but if, if a guy like a, a Cavalini, a White, a Gold isn't ready to go, don't be shy in, in, in looking ahead to this Houston, LA Galaxy, Colorado RSL stretch, uh, you know, with the, versus this Nashville game, because as important as this Nashville game is, again, you're coming off a cup final. So it's always going to be tough to to recover from that come down. So that's where a guy like Julian Gressels is going to be key. Maybe a Pedro Vite could play a big role if a guy like Ryan Gold, his legs are tired after the shift he put in in midweek, some of those other guys. So, I mean, yeah, I'm looking for for some depth performances from a Vite, from a Gressel. Even Dahomey came off relatively early, so he should be fresh. Marcus Godinho looks to be good to go, and he's been looked really good on the road in particular, maybe an avenue where he could uh, potentially do well. So, yeah, I'm looking for some of those uh, depth guys to, to step up. So, yes, we know Kubas is going to play. We know probably Cavallini is going to play. It's going to be interesting to see who slots in around them in terms of gold, white, some of these other guys who put in big shifts uh, in midweek. Yeah, I just think it was interesting that those were the guys out because I could see Javain having a big role, you know, against some more dynamic athletic attackers. Gidinho just has been playing so well. Vite, don't know, we'll see, but certainly Gressel, uh, if they're going to have white and Cava up front, if it's going to be a little more stagnant, um, where maybe you know those patented Julian Gressel long balls into the box could help unlock the attack a little bit, I think it'll just be something to watch for, especially Gressel. I feel like you know he's going to grow into this team and uh, obviously an impact player in MLS that I think that's something has to be exciting for Vancouver. Is really, they've only seen a tiny bit of what Gressel has to offer so far. And, uh, you know, they've got that to, to be excited about the rest of this regular season. Okay. Let's, let's talk about the one transfer rumor that's kind of on the, on the books right now, something we're monitoring and uh, apologies to any native Austrians out there. going to do the best we can. Alessandro Schopf. We're going to go with that. Um, Former Bundesliga man, former Bayern Munich Academy player, uh, 28 years old, currently a free agent, lots of experience in Germany. Uh, looks like he could be a fit alongside a Kubas in the midfield. Um, if Kyle Alexandre is not going to have a role at the moment, this is something the Whitecaps might be looking at for the rest of the season. Uh, Alex, quick thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's intriguing. Obviously, a guy who's played seven straight seasons in the top flight of Germany, you do get intrigued, especially when it hasn't been bit rolls. I mean, I'm looking at his last seven seasons, 474 minutes, 2,000 minutes, 800 minutes, 1,000, 1,400, 942. And his biggest 
output actually it was last year 2400 minutes on Bundesliga action yeah he hasn't played on great teams I mean once he finished second with Schalke in 2017-2018 but otherwise he's played uh, pretty big roles in the Bundesliga he's familiar with Axel Schuster who was at Schalke while, while Schopf was he's a midfielder the Whitecaps certainly could always use some good midfield depth the fact that he's on a free as well, so he easily should fall under the TAM bar because uh, they only have an under-23 DP spot open. There is a lot of that that ticks the boxes right away in terms of just those things. Uh, so for the, the Whitecaps, why not? I mean, the, the, the you know, as much as we've been happy, I guess, in the sense with what Russell Tybert's provided lately, you don't necessarily want him starting going into a playoff role if you don't need to just because he it would be nice to give Russell Tybert a depth role I think he'd, he would thrive in that we've said that many times Leonard Owusu has been inconsistent unfortunately uh Kyle Alessandre uh, just hasn't all clicked there uh, you know in terms of all of you know coming back from injury etc things are slowly progressing and obviously we'd want to see Kyle Alessandre pick up that role but if a guy like Shop is available he's on a free there's a lot of stats that, that stand out there. And, you know, when you look at with playing with Kubas, there's, you know, the reality that when you're playing with Kubas, it's great. So you don't have to worry about defending. So a guy like Shop, he is a decent defender. He's not like, you know, going to blow your doors down and be Kubas. He is a decent defender, but he does a lot of things that the Whitecaps need. You look at it over the last 2,400 minutes, he's played in a top five uh, European league uh, on FB ref compared to all the other players in top five European leagues at his position. He's in the top 30% for non-penalty expected goals, which is huge. The Whitecaps struggle at generating that at shots total. Another area where they, they struggle expected assists. Another area where they could always use some more creation, non-penalty goals, ex- expected goals, plus expected assists, shot creating actions in the top 10%. Otherwise, He's good at receiving progressive passes in the top 10%. Andrew Skubas is very good at making progressive passes, just worth noting. Otherwise, he's very solid in dribbles completed, touches in the penalty area, and a lot of other progressive stats. Uh, you know, as his top comparables, you look at some of the names, some guys like uh, Matthias Klitsch from Leeds, who is a player of, you know I've liked a lot in terms of what he brought to Leeds midfield. Uh, you know, look at someone like Dewsbury Hall for Leicester City. Lots of comparables as well. Pierre Pierre Lise Malou as well at, at at Norwich and formerly of Nice is also another comparable. Who's a very good player. Basically, all of the state for shop for his age, his contract status, his stats. There could be a fit for the Whitecaps. They need more chance progression. They need more balls into the box if they're going to make the most of White Cavallini Gauld. Having a guy like Shop feed them the ball wouldn't be a bad option. All right, and before we sign off here, one more. Depth midfield option back from Italy, Genio Bichel. It's it's preseason for him essentially, so he's probably three weeks a month away from being up to full speed. But uh, seems like the Whitecaps feel confident they can negotiate the international roster spots. We were talking before the show, you know, Deber Caicedo being out for the season. Maybe that's where a spots available. Honestly, it's MLS. Uh, these things are fluid and it's very difficult to keep track of. But Alex, if Bakel is able to return, is able to be part of the squad, what kind of role could he have to play for the rest of the year? I think it's especially interesting because Kubas has emerged and has been so prominent as that 
destroy and progress midfielder, where does that leave Bikel? Well, I think if you assume they bring in Shop, let's say that things are advanced, Manuel Veth, always reliable Manuel Veth, shout out to, to the work he does for Transfer Marked. He says he's in, in Vancouver to conduct a medical. Likely things that, that things are pretty close uh, in terms of that. So assuming Shop comes in, assuming Bikel comes back, we don't know what, what you know what's going to happen with the Wusu. We don't know what's you know with with Kyle Alshander what's going to go on for for him. But assuming Kyle Alshander continues to be a part of a fold, he is training. He has been making the squad between those three. That offers you pretty good options to choose from. I I guess you you know you're going to run through Kubas every week. He's proven that he's a good player. You need him in your lineup. But what this gives you is different looks. Okay, you're playing a team that's going to sit a little deeper. You need more chance creation. You need to get your your big your front through the ball often. You can throw in shop. Maybe it sacrifices a bit of defensive stability, but you know he's going to be able to progress the fall up the field. Okay, you're playing the Seattle Sounders. You're playing LAFC. Throwing out Kubas and Bikel is one heck of a way to counter some of the names that those guys have in midfield. If you're Nico Ladero, you do not want to look up and see Daniel Bikel and, and Andres Kubas just there ready to break legs. And they can both progress the ball too, so it's not as if you're losing some other area of the pitch just to have them on. Otherwise, you could throw in Kai Walshunder if you want a bit of both, a bit of two-way shuttling, uh, you know, Leonard Owusu as well. I think what this gives them is options in the midfield. It's going to be tough to keep all those guys ha- happy and playing, and it's something to consider. Like, okay, do you consider selling one of them if you bring Shopfin? Like, do you what do you do with Kaio, Owusu, and Bakel? But for now, if you keep them all around, and you, it does give the Whitecaps options. So with Bakel coming back, assuming he wants to come back, the Whitecaps want to have him coming back. It gives him another option to have. Plus, he gives you wing back cover, which. For you know, as good as the Gressel edition has been, the Raposo Godinho emergence, et cetera, et cetera. The Whitecaps wing back depth is still a bit iffy. He can play at wing back and be pretty darn good as it is we've seen over his time. He gives you a bit of versatility as well. So if there's room for Bacal for the rest of the season, he fits in the salary cap, bring him now. It just means you're gonna have some tough decisions to make in a position like midfield when it comes to the offseason. Exactly. I think I, I doubt Bukel is a long-term fit here. I feel like the the club's kind of moving on from that. But as you said, for the rest of this season, uh, as someone, if they struggle with injury, if someone like Leo Usu is less prominent, and uh, they're even just looking for something as simple as, as wing-back cover, full-back cover, Bukel can provide that and uh, maybe kind of increase his stock again where he can get the, the kind of move he wants in the offseason. So... It can only be good for Vancouver, and uh, as someone who always enjoyed Bacal, even though the Whitecaps were struggling at the time, and they those weren't the most memorable matches, I, I did often like what I saw out of him, so it would be cool to see him in a Whitecap shirt again. Okay, before we sign off here, Alex, predictions, thoughts for uh, for the Nashville matchup. How, how, how are you feeling about this one? Coming off a big win, is it going to be a market correction? Uh, are the Whitecaps going to be able to keep their road form going? Are they going to be able to erase those couple disappointing 3-1 home losses? Uh, how are you feeling about this one? I'm struggling to think of a win, unfortunately, I think, for this game. I'm going to go draw. I think the Whitecaps keep the momentum going. They're in good form. I'm going for a 1-1 draw. I think that's going to be typical of Nashville. I apologize if I've stolen from you, Sam, but what they say is good minds think alike. And obviously we've we've been through this rodeo before, so if you're making the same prediction, I, it does make me feel like I'm trusting my judgment in, in a good way. So I'm going 1-1 Whitecaps. Uh, 
I'm sorry for for your loss in that regard, but you can take that prediction. It's not it's not a sacred one. Well, yeah. Now we've we've guaranteed that the one one draw won't happen, but I, I can't go away I mean... from it. I can't go away from it. I mean, this is two low event teams that um, don't like to hold a ton of the ball. Uh, you know, they're both trying to cling on to playoff positioning in the West, trying to eke out points. Nashville hasn't been great at home. Vancouver's been pretty decent on the road. I think everything's just lining up for all those emotions of the cup final. Uh, Whitecaps will probably be, you know, gets the 85th minute. They'll probably be happy to take a point. So uh, I think it's just all lining up for that. There could certainly be a different result, but if I have to, you know, place my proverbial money down, that's that's the way I see it going. And that's fair. I mean, we'll see how it goes. It's MLS, the worst league to predict on, which is why we do it every week like fools. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it horribly, horribly wrong. So uh, we'll see how the Whitecaps are able to handle that today or not today, but this week. But uh Anyways, no matter what happens, they are champions of Canada for now. We'll see how long that holds up. Champions League next year. We'll, we'll, we'll trust me. Trust me. If there's one thing I will guarantee right now, we are going to go deep into the Whitecaps Champions League quest eventually. We'll keep mentioning it. I hope like, I hope they get a really fun draw. Like I hope they get a Haitian team or like a Jamaican team or even some fun Mexican team because we're going to go into the research. We're going to bring the heck also another one that's actually to consider based on the pots. If, if Sacramento Republic make it, I would love to see Sacramento Republic first white caps just for the chaos that would be between the, the federations, but no matter who it is, I can't wait for the champions league, etc. but the white caps MLS big stretch ahead. Can they make the playoffs? I say, absolutely. Why not? You finally build up your roster you get guys healthy. You've, you're a champions of Canada. You got that momentum. When you're on your game, you can make things happen. You made the playoffs last year. Go on. Cap off what has already been a good season. They won a trophy. Let's be real. No matter what happens, it's a good season. You make the playoffs. We said at the beginning of the year. Uh, I remember specifically, we had the chat, Sam and I. What are the Whitecaps? What's a good season for the Whitecaps? I said, make a final for the champions, uh, Canadian Championship and make the playoffs currently they exceeded the expectations in can champ go on meet the expectations in mls and make the playoffs we make it win it get a home playoff game even better and then go from there and build towards the champions league but either way we can say the white caps are champions of something which is long overdue so to that hopefully you enjoyed this episode of us breaking down what that meant what's happening going forward, et cetera. You can find me on Twitter at Alex Gungaroos, at BTS Fancy, btsfancy.com. And uh, can't wait for the next episode. Maybe it will be a Whitecaps win. Maybe it won't, but either way, should be a good one. Yeah, as you said, I think, you know, a significant portion of the season's business has been taken care of. Now they can they add the sweetener? Can they, you know, really make it a successful season by getting in the playoffs, doing a little bit of damage. Three points on the road against Nashville would go a long way. And then, yeah, just as you said, Champions League next year could not be more excited. Uh, some of my favorite moments in Whitecaps history up until this point, playing in the Champions League those, those seasons ago. So looking forward to more of those moments. You can find me, as always, at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com. You can find our podcast at 
third sub pod on Twitter, the third sub on Instagram. And uh, I'll give a shout out to Alex as well, who killed it on the sideline reporting for one soccer. Uh, that's great to see the third sub representing. Uh, and, and you're doing all kinds of great content for not only the Canadian Championship, but everything Canada soccer related. So yeah, you know, if you're not plugged into that stuff, check it out as well. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll chat again soon. Up the mighty third sub. <laughs>